0: whenever you are told a story, when that story contains people and places and things, experiences of which you are familiar, well, that story is always more interesting, captures your attention a little better than a story that doesn't contain familiar items. So if I were to tell you this morning a story about my hometown Unless you're from my hometown, that story would not be near as interesting to you as a juicy story about your hometown. We like stories about people and places and things that we know about. If you were hearing the stories of Chronicles when they were first told, when the Chronicler first told his stories, those who were hearing his stories We're hearing stories about their hometown, one after another. And it would have been captivating. Now, as far as we are removed from the time of Chronicles and the place of Chronicles and what it would have been like to be there and heard Chronicles read for the very first time, as much as this place Israel is foreign to most of us in this room I, I want you to realize this morning that the stories are a lot closer to you than you might think. And my hope this morning is to maybe help you see just how close these stories really are to your life. So I want to tell a story from 2 Chronicles chapter 8 and 9. You can look at chapter 8 and 9. You can follow along with me. I'm going to tell you the story hopefully in a way that reflects how the chronicler told the story to the people who heard it that would have been captivated by a story about their hometown. It was seven long years followed by 13 even longer years. It was 20 years in the making and Solomon finally had completed the temple and his own house and it Everything in Solomon's kingdom had just fallen into place. It was a magnificent kingdom. Everything was incredible. Solomon had built up fortified cities, cities that were strategic in just the right location, securing trade routes throughout the land, securing economic expansion, prosperity and peace throughout his kingdom. It was an amazing place. His kingdom was absolutely perfect. Everything was right, everything was protected, everything was provided for, nobody was in want. The people in his kingdom, citizens of the kingdom, they didn't have to do any kind of hard labor. They were all chiefs and officers and rulers. Everything was amazing in Solomon's kingdom. He did everything he could to make sure everything was right in his kingdom, particularly the worship of God. Solomon followed every command that was given all the way back to Moses so that the worship of God in the kingdom was perfect. They followed all the commands. They had everybody in place. The Levites, the ones that were in charge of worship in the temple. The priests, the ones who were in charge of making sure that the sacrifices were offered correctly. All of them were commissioned and equipped to fulfill their duties just as they were prescribed by Moses and by David, Solomon's father. Solomon was making sure that everybody did everything just right in worship in the kingdom. David's kingdom was right. The worship was right. Everything in the kingdom was incredible. And Solomon was rich, extremely rich, richer than all of the kings around him. He was as wise as he was rich. His kingdom was amazing, and word of His kingdom began to spread throughout the world. About 1,400 miles away from Israel, rumors had reached a distant land called Sheba. Rumors of rumors about an indescribably wise king in this faraway land of Israel. And the queen of that land, the queen of Sheba, heard stories about Solomon and his wisdom. And they were stories that for her were beyond believable. Just just too big, too great, too amazing, too unbelievable to accept as true. She would not accept it. She was convinced there's no way that this king and this kingdom could be that amazing. And so she determined to go and see for herself. And so she packed up all her stuff and all her goods and an amazing number of gifts for this king just in case he was even half of what she had heard. And she made this 1,400 mile trek across a massive desert in order to seek out this king that she heard about was way beyond what could really be true. She arrived in Israel and she met King Solomon. And King Solomon ended up being even more than what she had heard. She quizzed him with every question she could think of, and he answered all of them beyond her expectations. She was able to see what life and worship and and living in Israel was like. She was able to observe Solomon and all that he had done in building up his kingdom. She was able to see the house of the Lord that Solomon had built. She saw everything with her own eyes. She witnessed everything. Solomon's wisdom, his riches, and the amazing status of his kingdom. And she was without breath. It took her breath away. She was so amazed, she could not respond to how incredible Solomon was. She was mesmerized. She said, I I didn't believe it. I thought there's no way this could be true. But now that my eyes have seen it, It's even beyond what I imagined. Truly, you're great. She had all these gifts to give Solomon. Gifts unlike anything that had ever been seen in Israel before. You know what the interesting thing is? That she was there giving Solomon all these gifts. I don't know if this is like you on a trip. You go somewhere with one bag. You get there and you end up having to buy extra bags to get home with all the junk you pick up on that trip. Well, that's the queen of Sheba. She goes with two bags. She takes home ten. I mean, Solomon pours out the gifts on the queen of Sheba because she can't outgive him. His wealth and opulence is so great that this great queen who's come to see him and honor him leaves honored more than she could ever honor him because Solomon is so great. He's unbelievably rich. I mean, he's bringing in somewhere around a billion dollars worth of gold and goods from other kingdoms and other kings every year. They're giving him stuff because they're seeking out his wisdom. These kings are coming from all over the world to hear what Solomon has to say, and they're bringing him a billion dollars worth of stuff every year just to hear him. He is so unbelievably wealthy that the way the scriptures tells about his wealth says that gold and silver were so abundant in Solomon's day because of Solomon's wealth that silver was absolutely worthless. It was no more valuable. You could pick up a stone of silver, this massive rock, it would be worth no more than any other rock you pick up off the ground. He was amazingly rich. And a picture that's created by his riches gives indication of his wisdom because he was wiser than he was rich. You see, with Solomon, everything was right. The king was right. The kingdom was right. The worship in the kingdom was right. Everything in Solomon's kingdom was right. And for 40 years, he ruled Israel. And they experienced the loving kindness of God. I mean, they were drowning in God's loving kindness. The promises of God had so overflowed Solomon and Israel that they were just staggered by his promises. And for 40 years... They experienced the loving kindness of the Lord under the reign of this right king. And then Solomon died. Now that's the story. And if we think about the stories that we've looked at in the past weeks, we can remember that each one of these stories has been told to convey some truth to us about God. And we've seen again and again week after week this truth that that God's promises create an opportunity for anyone and everyone to experience His loving kindness in an unimaginable way if you trust in the Lord. If you trust in the Lord, you get to experience God's loving kindness that are rooted in His promises. And trusting in the Lord is really exhibited clearly through obedience you can see it in Solomon's obedience everything he did in the worship of God was exactly what God commanded he was perfect in regard to worshiping God and that perfect obedience displayed his trust in the Lord and that's why he was drowning in the loving kindness of God if you want to experience God's loving kindness that's rooted in his promises then you need to make a decision that you will trust the Lord your trust in the Lord is given great evidence by simply how you follow God. Now that's a true revelation about God, couched in these stories within Second Chronicles. And as true as that is, and as right as these stories are in conveying the truth of God, I would hope that this morning, that the story of Solomon as told by the chronicler in Second Chronicles would raise some questions for you. There's just something not right about this story. Do you find it interesting that the chronicler's story of Solomon has omitted some details here? If you're familiar with Solomon's story, you would be asking yourself right now, if this is the end of the story, what, what about all the other stuff about Solomon? I mean, by the end of his life, he had taken up the worship of idols. He had brought many foreign women into the kingdom as his political liaisons to other countries through marriage. And he had allowed them to bring in their idols, their false gods. And he had chosen to begin to worship those false gods. Now think about that. The wisest man on the earth becomes the greatest fool of all. And the story that the chronicler tells us omits everything bad about Solomon. Now the people that are hearing chronicles for the very first time are not ignorant of history it's not as if the chronicler is trying to convince the people that Solomon is this great king and he's really not and the chronicler knows that he's just rewriting history that's not what's going on that the people that are hearing the story of the chronicler know fully what history tells them they know that Solomon has made a lot of mistakes along the way and that he ends really poorly So if the Chronicles not trying to pull the wool over their eyes and convince them that Solomon is something that he's not, what in the world is going on in this story? Why are we told the story this way? Okay, let's step out of the story real quickly, and let me give you another encouragement when it comes to biblical narratives. This is a reminder of something we covered the very first Sunday we started 2 Chronicles. So let me just quickly remind you again of something you need to bring to the biblical narrative. When you open the scripture and you begin to read the story, you will oftentimes read things like today in 2 Chronicles 8 and 9 that are aspects of an historical event that omits certain events you might know about. In this case, we actually know about some things regarding Solomon that are not included in the story. And because we like story, and we like plot, and we like the details, and we like to know as much as we can about what's happening, we oftentimes want to piece together the historical event and say, well, Solomon did this, and Solomon did that. Well, the Chronicle only says this, but over here in Kings, we can see this, and we start to piece together a historical event. And what we, we fail to remember is that the Bible is not written to be historical literature. I don't mean it's not historically accurate. I don't mean it's not historically true, okay? What I mean is that the chronicler has not told the story so that we might see a full picture of history. He's told the story so that we see a slice of history. And the slice of history that we get is pulling out the significance of Solomon's reign so that we might understand not history, but we might understand God. The chronicler is telling about how God worked in history in such a way that we might see God in the text. And so we don't want to add to the text with knowledge that we have from other passages and build the historical event in our mind. No, we want to stick with what the text is saying and ask the question, what is the chronicler wanting us to see about God? What has God captured in the story about Himself so that we can see and understand Him? Okay, so don't worry about what we don't see in Chronicles except that it enables us to see what is really there more clearly. Stick with the text. What is the text saying? Okay, so back to the story. What's going on with the story? Why is the chronicler giving us the best of Solomon. Any of you have any CDs or or, or music on your iPod? The best of? You you leave out all the sorry songs that they did through the years, and it's like the the greatest band ever because you just listen to the best of, you know? It's like 12 songs out of the 150 they did. Well, that's what we're getting with the Chronicle. We're getting the best of Solomon. And why are we getting the best of Solomon? Well, the people listening to the stories of the chronicler are people who have returned to Israel out of exile. They have been able to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city wall. They've been established back in Israel, and they're being exhorted by the chronicler to wait for a king. You see, they don't have a king on the throne. And so what the chronicler is doing is he is telling them about the best of Solomon. And the best of Solomon's kingdom. And the best of God's loving kindness. So that they will identify the best of Solomon with the king that they are supposed to be waiting for. And they know that Solomon wasn't that. They know that Solomon was more than just what was written here. And the fact that they know that Solomon is not that, and that Solomon made a lot of mistakes along the way, and that Solomon died after 40 years, the fact that they know that, they're identifying with the best of Solomon, with the best king that's going to come. And when the best king comes and sets up the best kingdom with the best of everything, the best worship, the best stability, the best peace, the best everything, when that king comes, his rule will not last 40 years. His rule will be forever. That They know that the loving kindness of God seen in the day of Solomon, that the greatest king that they had ever seen in their history was but a glimpse The best of Solomon is just a glimpse into the best of the king that's coming. And they were being exhorted to wait on that king, that he would be worth the wait. That when he comes and he sits on the throne, the best of Solomon would be pale in comparison to the best of the king that would sit on the throne of David forever. He would be worth the wait. The chronicler wanted these people to grab a hold of this promise of a future king and have hope that would fuel their daily trust in God right where they were, right when they were, even though there was no king on the throne yet. He wanted them to see that the best of Solomon was nothing compared to his coming in their king, and that he was coming. And in the same way God fulfilled all the promises in the past, he was not done extending his loving kindness to them. The king was coming, and the hope of that king was meant to fuel them to trust God every single day right where they lived. Do you feel the story getting a little closer? Do you see it? The queen of Sheba, she 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 really sets up something for the future. There, there are two events in the future that the queen of Sheba's trip to see Solomon really sets up. So this Gentile queen, she makes this long trek from the east in order to see the king of the Jews. I want you to look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and I want you to look with me at verse 8. I want you to read this with me. Really important statement she makes here. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 8. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on his throne as king for the Lord your God. Because your God loved Israel, establishing them forever, therefore he has made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. Notice what she says. She says to Solomon, you've been placed on God's throne. Do you notice the way she words that? Isn't that interesting? This Gentile queen who comes to see the wisdom of Solomon is so captured by who he is and who his God is that she says, you're not just sitting on your throne as the king. You're not just sitting on the throne of Israel as king over them. You're sitting on God's throne, and he's blessed the nation by placing you there. She recognized something very interesting. At the throne of Israel, the throne of David, the kingdom of Solomon was really God's kingdom, and the throne was really God's throne, and God was the one who was really in control. It's amazing. And then hundreds of years later after hundreds of years of waiting in the fullness of time some men from the east the same place as the queen of Sheba make a trip over a massive desert all the way into Israel in order to see King of the Jews. The wise men make their way to find the King of the Jews. Gentiles traveling again to find the King of the Jews. But these guys are not coming to see the King of the Jews because of his wisdom or his riches. No, these guys are coming to see the King of the Jews who rightfully sits on the throne of God. The scripture tells us that the wise men come to see the king of the Jews to worship him as God. And that little boy that they came to worship as God is the son of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And when he grew up, he once spoke of the queen of Sheba. You know what he said of her? In Matthew chapter 12, verse 42, Jesus says of the queen of Sheba to the generation that was listening to him teach. So all these Jews that had been commissioned to wait for a king. You know, Second Chronicles is the last book in the Jewish Old Testament. The message of Second Chronicles is wait for a king. That's the final message that God's people are given. For hundreds of years, the last words from God were wait for a king. He's coming. So the Jews had been commissioned to wait for a king and Jesus is standing before them. And he says to that generation that's hearing him teach, that's watching him perform miracles. That's seeing all kinds of evidence about who he is. That's hearing him claim to be the son of God. And he says to that generation, the queen of Sheba will rise up in condemnation on this generation. Because the queen of Sheba came from the ends of the earth to seek out Solomon and his wisdom. And I will tell you now that there is someone before you who is greater than Solomon. Jesus is the King of Kings. And He is the Lord of Lords. And His kingdom is right. And His loving kindness is being offered. Jesus Christ came. He gave His life on the cross. He rose again from the dead on the third day. He ascended to be with the Father, and He is waiting. To fulfill the promise that He gave us. Jesus Christ told us right here in this book that He is coming again. He promised it. And He's going to fulfill that promise. He is coming back. Do you see just how close you are to this story? We we are so much like those who first heard the reading of the Chronicles. We are so much like them. I mean, think about their life. There they were back in Israel. They had rebuilt the temple. They would rebuilt the city wall. They were, being a, they were free to live there and worship God. But, but they were not under the reign of the king of Israel. They were under the reign of the king of Persia. A foreign king, though he, they had the freedom to worship God, was over them. They were not under the king of Israel. They were under a foreign king. Now think about your, your life and my life. Right here on this earth. Jesus has not yet set up his throne on this earth. And right now on this earth. Though we are free to worship the Lord. And engage our world in the gospel of Christ. Though we are commissioned to live in the loving kindness of God. Right now we are not in a place that is ruled completely by the Lord. The, the enemy Satan has dominion on this earth. And here we are living in this place with a promise, a better promise than those in 2 Chronicles received. Those in 2 Chronicles received a promise that Jesus was coming for the first time. We have received the promise of Jesus coming once and for all. And he will establish his kingdom. And he will reign in perfection. And he will oversee all things. And no one will stand against his kingdom. And those who trust in him will find the loving kindness of God perfect. Perfect. We've been given a better promise. and We are supposed to be waiting for a king to come. Just like the chronicle. The chronicler convinced those he was reading to. To wait for a king. We are to hear this story about the best of Solomon. And we are to say. The best of Solomon. Is nothing compared. To. To the best of Jesus. And we are to wait on the King. The promise that Jesus is going to return is meant to fuel us to trust God every single day. Right here. Right where we live. Even though Jesus has not yet returned. We are supposed to be so captured by the reality that Jesus is coming back, that we live today trusting in Him, fueled to trust Him no matter what, fueled to confess our sin every time we depart from the Lord, fueled to tell others about Christ, moved to stand for Jesus no matter what the odds, because Jesus Christ is the King and He is returning. That's how we're supposed to live. You know the great difference between the story of Solomon and the story of Jesus? See, the the story of the best of Solomon had to leave out a whole lot of stuff in order to get the best of. But the story of Jesus is nothing but the best of. He is phenomenal. There's nobody like him. Never will be. Never has been. He is the king of all kings, and he gave his life to save us from our sin. And he's coming back for those who trust him. He's coming back to take us home. This is not our home. He's coming back to take you home. This story is about your hometown and you do not want to miss Jesus Christ coming to take you home trust him it will be so worth the wait trust him if you're sitting here this morning and you're saying to yourself this this story about Jesus it just sounds too good to be true well i agree It does. And the reason it does is because Jesus is unlike anyone else that's ever been on this earth. And you can take the best of Solomon, the greatest king that ever lived in history, and he doesn't even hold a candle to Jesus Christ. There's nobody like him. But if you're sitting there thinking that, it's just too good to be true. That I hope this morning you'll take a page from the book of Queen of Sheba who traveled from the ends of the earth to see for herself. I invite you to come and see for yourself. If you come and you look into who Jesus is, you will see that he is more than everything you've ever heard. Put your trust in Jesus. You will never be disappointed.